0: When I was, um, you know, praying and, and kind of considering where I felt this sermon should go, I, I tried to take the temperature of where I thought we were going as a church. And that seemed like a really good idea until it started bringing me into some stuff that, you know, I don't really feel that comfortable with. And it, it brought me kind of into the realm of, of spiritual warfare. And uh, and I say this, this isn't something I'm really that comfortable with because I've... It, I, I've always struggled. Where I'm not—I shouldn't say I've always struggled, but I, I have struggled with a lot of the the imagery that's in the Bible of of doing battle, and it, it seemed like a really small jump for me from from this kind of talk of you know fighting the good fight to to pulling off the crusades, and and so I I, I didn't really know what to do with it, and I still probably don't know what to do with a lot of it, but I also recognize that I. I, I can't stay faithful to the Bible if I leave this stuff out. And where I where I would usually go before, and where I feel a lot more comfortable, is to talk about the the kind of agricultural kind of metaphors, where, where he talks about like sowing seeds and it, and, it, and it grows, and this is what it means to grow in the kingdom of God, and this is the kind of stuff that I felt really comfortable about, and I could I could tell you all kinds of you know proportions of how this agricultural talk is way more prevalent in the New Testament than military talk. And I could use that as a great excuse to not really deal with this stuff. But I, I, I'm also really convinced that this is really important for where we're going. And so even though I, I don't feel that comfortable with it, I, I feel like I have to confront it head on and, and kind of seek where God is taking me and where God has taken us as a church in this. Because I feel it's important. I feel it because of some of the dreams that have been coming out um, that where we're some people in our congregation are hearing God speak to them it, it seems to be taking us in this direction and the stuff that I've been um, reading about in, in the scriptures I keep coming back to this and where we go in our prayer times uh, you know Tuesday mornings and other, otherwise um, and as well just some of the stuff that's going on in our church. This just seems to be where we're at. And so I'm going to take a bit of a leap here and go into some uncharted waters. And I'm doing this because I'm convinced that this is important for us. And so I'm kind of curious as to where this is going to go. Um, but you know, you're welcome to come along with me. And the passage that um, Julie and I were talking about this this last week, and this passage I was read from Luke was the one that came up. And I think this is a little bit of an unlikely one if we're talking about spiritual warfare. And there's a lot of great ones in the New Testament. And this isn't one of the ones that I would have referred to first. But I, I do see a lot in it that is important. Um, but I, I probably should have started the reading a little bit earlier. probably starting in verse 24. Because this is setting the stage a little bit for for what Jesus said in the verses that we actually did read. And it starts, verse 24 says, Also, a dispute arose among them as to which of them was considered to be the greatest. And if you've read much in the New Testament, this is completely in character for the disciples. This is completely the kind of stuff that they were concerned about and, and spent a lot of time and energy obsessing about. And it's also the kind of stuff that would probably really tick Jesus off. And so here he is at the end of his time on earth. He spent almost three years with these disciples. And this is still the stuff that they're arguing about. And as he's heading to the cross and and the passion and all that, I, I can't imagine what he would have been thinking when he heard the disciples arguing about who is going to be the greatest. And so... Actually, I should say, you know, I, I've i been on a lot of teams in my life. I've been, you know, I'm involved in sports and mostly on sports, um, you know, teams, team sports. And I've been a lot on a lot of really good ones, and it's been a real privilege. And I've also been on a whole lot of really bad ones. And so I've been able to kind of compare a little bit of my experiences. And when I've been on good teams, these teams that have a chance to go somewhere and, and win something and to make a name for ourselves and, you know, take a trophy home at the end of the season or the end of the tournament or whatever it might be. You know, it, it, it's amazing the dynamics that work in a team like this where we're, it, it becomes all about the team, all about the goal. And we work so hard and... You know, nobody's as selfish as they could be, and probably as they want to be, and nobody is, you know, getting on each other over mistakes or anything like that, because we're so focused on the goal that this stuff kind of, you know, falls to the background. It's not as important as the goal that we're pursuing. But then, on the really bad teams that I've been on, we have slightly different dynamics. Whereas the, you know, you start to realize that, you know, we're not going to win this league this year. We're not going to win this tournament. This starts to lose our focus and you start to rag on people when they make a mistake you start to you know forget why you're playing this game and and some of the teams that I get on it becomes more of a uh, of a 3 hour period in which to try to start a brawl or a riot instead of to win the game and and, and it it really degrades really quickly and I see in that a little bit of a principle that, that we can take into our experience as churches. And I've, I don't have as much experience in, in church life as a lot of you, but I've seen enough to see some of these dynamics at work. And I've been at, in churches that lose their focus for what we're supposed to be here for. They lose the focus on why we exist. Why... We come together. Why you would sit here and listen to me for a while? Why we worship? Why we do anything? And churches that lose this focus tend to turn on themselves. They tend to argue. They they do battle over all the things that just don't matter. The churches that are able to keep their focus on why God God has called us together, who keep their focus on. Fulfilling the Great Commission where Jesus called us to go and preach the Gospel and to, to make disciples, people who want to follow Him. And churches that, that remember the, the incredible need that's out there that, that God has brought us here to, to go make a difference in. The churches that remember these things find a way to stay together and stay as a family and a community in, in, in a healthy way with, with some beautiful dynamics at play. And, and so I'm convinced that what the, the proverb said where, um, it's in Proverbs 29 I can't remember the verse but it says where there is no vision the people perish. And I'm convinced that this is true and I'm convinced that this is true of churches and of individuals that when we lose the vision of what God has called us into what God has called us to be as well as what God has called us to accomplish that we begin to perish, probably not in really obvious ways, but it comes about, it happens, and over time, it makes a real difference. And instead, we are brought together to fight the good fight, and Paul actually gives some cautions to some churches uh, that he was writing to about some of these kind of little battles. And In 2 Timothy, he says, don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments, because you know they produce quarrels. And then in Titus, he says, you know, but avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and arguments and quarrels about the law because they're unprofitable and useless. And so I, I think that by keeping our focus on, on what Jesus has called us into, what Jesus has called us to be and to call us to accomplish in such things as spiritual warfare, that we're able to avoid some of these problems because they just realize how little they matter how small of a priority these you know, foolish controversies and genealogies and stuff like that are. And we can move on to what really matters. I think what happened with the disciples here is they lost their focus. They forgot what it was about. I'm sure it's tempting as Jesus would gain, gain a little bit more uh, fame. The, the word of his miracles would start going out in the countryside. I'm sure it was very tempting for them to run after a little bit of this prestige and and to start jockeying for these positions. But that's not why Jesus called them together and he brought into this discussion a little bit of a corrective where he tried to change their direction and change the way that they were thinking. And um, starting in verse, um, in verse 25 and going down to 30, he, he talks about what it means to be in the kingdom of God, what it means to be a servant and how it isn't about pursuing power and position and authority all these different things but it's about servanthood and, and humility and and you know even suffering but then he changes his tract a little bit and this is where we picked it up in our reading and he starts rather than just telling them not to do this not to run after these things he tells them instead what to go after but he starts in a little bit of an unlikely place when he predicts some of the trials that Peter's been going through. Although actually he does more than that. The verse here says, Simon, Simon, Satan is asked to sift you as wheat. But the you in this verse is not the singular you. Jesus wasn't just talking about Satan asking to sift Simon as wheat. Satan was asking to sift all the disciples, all of Jesus' followers as wheat. It just comes across that in the translation, that it looks like it's singular, but it's really not. And so, Satan was wanting to bring the disciples, just as he's probably trying to bring us into these, these times of trial to try to make us fail, try to make us stumble and lose our focus, and, and all these things that, are, that would destroy us as a church. But he was also talking to Peter alone here. And he wasn't Let me just get my thoughts straight here. Jesus didn't pray that Satan or, or sorry, that Simon, that Simon would avoid this time of trial. And he prayed that his faith would not fail in this. I don't believe that God allows these trials to happen to see if we're going to fall. I believe that He does this so that we are going to be able to be strengthened to step forward, to be able to, to, to help other people in their own times of trial. And in this, in this verse here it says, "You know, I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, Strengthen your brothers. So by this time of trial that Simon was about to be going through, on the other side of it, as much as it wouldn't be all that fun in the middle of it, at the end of it, he would be able to strengthen the brothers in their own faith. So why does God allow such things to happen to us? It's so that we can be better equipped to enter into spiritual warfare. It's so that we can open ourselves up so the Holy Spirit can find more room to move within us. And last week, you know, Jim was kind of dragged up here and interrogated. And um, he he had a really cool testimony of how God raised up tongues in him so that he could enter into spiritual warfare on behalf of somebody. And, and if you missed it, Jim felt on his heart to pray in tongues, lay hands on on. Uh, on a brother, and, and pray over him in tongues. And this, this friend of his interpreted it and heard the word of God that was just really important to where he was through what, this gift that, that God had raised up in Jim. Um, God, God raised up these tongues, not for Jim's sake alone, but so that Jim could be better able to minister to this friend. And I. I think Jim's story is unique in that none of us are going to be able to replicate it. But it's also not unique in that I believe that this is what God is doing right now. And it hasn't happened yet to all of us. But it's happening. It's happening to a lot of us. And God isn't doing this for our own sake. He isn't doing this so that we can keep it within these four walls and have a lot of fun together. He's doing this so that when we've brought it out in these four walls, when we've had some fun together, we'd be able to step out and make a difference. And a lot of people who who don't know Jesus or maybe haven't been able to enter into the freedom that Jesus has for them. I think that it is also significant that we're hearing stories like this after what we've come out of as a congregation. And I feel like in a real significant way we've been sifted like wheat. But our faith hasn't failed. And God's bring us into a place where we can in turn encourage other people. Our brothers and sisters who, who know Christ but are struggling. Or our brothers and sisters who don't know Him yet. I believe this is what God is doing. I believe that this is why we were allowed to go through what we went through. I believe that now that we're on this other side, we can say that it's a gift. Because God is doing something awesome in us and through us. And it's just going to grow and it's just going to increase and we're just going to see more and more if we're willing to step into it and pursue what God has for us. And I believe this isn't for a few scattered individuals. I believe this is for anybody who wants to walk into this. And I don't know how it's going to happen and and it's not going to happen like it happened to Jim. But who knows how God's going to bring it about. Who knows what He could do in and through each and every one of us. What I believe Peter came out of his experience of sifting with was this understanding that he couldn't do things in his own strength. Now, Peter was a pretty cocky guy, and you can see it in his response. Um, when when Jesus tells him that, that he's going to be going through this time of trial and that he's prayed for him, that he will not fail, Peter says, Lord, I'm ready to go with you to prison and to death. It says, Peter... Thinking that I, I can do anything. What? This can't be that hard. Just Peter underestimating the struggles and overestimating his own strength. Now, Peter on the other side of this was a very changed man. And Peter on the other side of this was able to be an incredible, dynamic leader of the church that God used in, in unbelievable ways while the church was in its infancy. And Peter became a testimony of how God can shape a life and shape a personality with all its flaws and all its holes and turn it into something amazing that glorifies Him. And this time of trial was an incredible landmark moment for Peter in this transformation. And Peter learned the hard way that to stand in and for Jesus was not all that easy, but to stand in the power of Jesus can make anything possible. Now, Jesus continues, of course, and and the follow-up words to this that come after make it clear that things are changing for the disciples. In, um, In an earlier passage... Jesus had sent the disciples out and he had also sent out a group of 72 and he sent them out to proclaim that the kingdom of God was at hand and they went out to all these different villages And, and but as he went, he told them to, to take nothing. They were just to go and they would find places where they could have some shelter and, and have some food and people would be generous to them and take care of them. And so they could leave all those things behind, all these things that would be weighing them down and and, and just go on forward and and trust that everything was going to be all right. But Jesus changed that. And instead, He says, when I sent you without a purse, bag, or sandals, did you lack anything? And they said, nothing. But He said to them, but now if you have a purse, take it. And also a bag. And if you don't have a sword, sell your cloak and buy one. Jesus was changing things up because the season the disciples were going and entering into was changing. Unfortunately, the disciples took some of this a little bit too literally. Jesus told them to go buy a sword. And so they bring a couple to him and, and, you know, probably very proudly and he says, "No, no, no, that's enough. And I don't think they got the hint because when the, the priest's henchmen came to arrest Jesus, Peter, obviously, took out the sword and, and, and used it. And when Jesus told him to stop, he was probably wondering about all these mixed messages. You know, first get a sword, but don't use it. I and mean, what's going on here? But Jesus wasn't talking about a physical sword because he wasn't talking about a physical battle. What he was doing was telling them to equip themselves for a spiritual battle to be ready for this ready for this sense of warfare that they were going to be entering into he was telling them to prepare themselves for things to change and 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 be prepared to, to use weapons in this warfare although obviously not the weapons they were thinking about but weapons that I think Paul started to understand as we read in our passage in Ephesians when he's telling us to put on the armor of God. And he's obviously not talking about physical armor. He's talking about spiritual armor. He's talking about us entering into a spiritual battle. And this is the battle that we are in. And we have been equipped for this battle. We've been... Equipped and ready to stand in this place and do battle with what Satan is doing in this world. And we've been equipped to proclaim the kingdom of God is at hand. To proclaim that, that, that Jesus has died to break the power of, of death and the power of Satan. To proclaim freedom for anyone who will have it. We've been called to intercede into war for our brothers and sisters who don't know Jesus yet. And this is what it means to enter into spiritual warfare. It doesn't mean that we seek for Satan to be destroyed and defeated. Because that's already happened. That happened on the cross. What we're warring for is for freedom for those who don't know what Jesus has already done for them. Well, Satan has been defeated. Well, he has no more power over us that we don't give him. There are still so many people who don't realize this is true. There are so few people who are walking in this freedom, who who know what it means to be freed in Christ. To know what it means to have Jesus die for them and for their sins. For us to enter into. For, sorry, for us to enter into spiritual warfare is to seek and long and battle for them to walk in this place. For them to encounter Jesus as Jesus longs to encounter them. To seek for all the barriers and obstacles that keep people from this, this incredible meeting with Jesus. To see all these barriers knocked down. This is spiritual warfare, and this this is important for me because this is this is what I've been facing these last few weeks. And I mean, I've I've had some friends whose lives have just crumbled around them, and it's been so painful for me. To see how, how Jesus has so much for them and to see what Jesus has died for and see how little they they know. To see how little they've entered into this freedom. And it, it's just been brutal to watch this. And I feel you know, I, I feel exhausted and I feel so discouraged. But I also feel God calling me to battle for them, and it looks on so many levels like like it's done, it's over, it's hopeless, but I just believe that God has things that that I can't comprehend that they can't comprehend, and I believe that I believe that if I'm willing to stand and fight and if some of my other Friends and some of the other people of this church who, who I know are doing this if we're willing to stand and fight for these people that, that we're going to see the power of God at work and that they will come through on the other side testifying to what Jesus has done and so I'm speaking about this because I want to know what it means for me to enter into battle for them I want to know how to do this better and I want to see victory and I want to be able to testify to what God can do and, and and I also want this to strengthen my faith for the next time something like this happens and I I believe I believe that this is what's going to happen and it's encouraging for me to see how Jesus modeled this and I look at how Jesus walked up to the cross where he could have turned at any point and walked away. And He could have avoided the pain. And He could have avoided the suffering. And He walked fully knowing what was to come. He walked up to the cross and He he entered into our pain. And He died for our pain. And He didn't run away. He didn't avoid... He didn't avoid any of it. He hit it head on. He... He battled death head on and death was defeated. And I'm encouraged in this that as as hard as some of these battles can look, the answer is not to run away. The answer is not to avoid them. The answer is not to seek excuses to forget that they're going on. The answer is to hit these things straight on, not in our own strength like Peter wanted to, but in the strength of the Holy Spirit in our life. In the weapons, with the weapons that Jesus is raising up, that Jesus has given us to use these things to do battle and to win. When Jesus was getting ready for this battle, the way he did this was to pray. I don't believe it ends in prayer. I don't think we can just pray and leave it at that. I believe that we have to do things like speak the truth in love. We have to—it it, it takes some—some some getting out there and, and some activity and, and facing these things um, ourselves. But it always, always, always starts in prayer. And Jesus, as he was heading into the season, he started by praying for himself that you know, strength as he would walk into this. He prayed for the disciples that they would stand and. And, and grow and everything and he also prayed for all the rest of the believers including us this is all recorded in John 17 and, and when Jesus was done praying he walked with the disciples to the garden of Gethsemane and he prayed some more and he prayed so hard that he had drops of blood and this is, this is where we start and some of us might be walking and, and, and doing battle in spiritual warfare already, and some of us, we, maybe we want to, we don't know where to start. Well, this is it. We start in prayer. We start by following the example of Jesus here and doing battle in, in, through intercession and holding the, whoever it might be up in prayer before Jesus. This is the first of our weapons and this is never a bad place to start. But also when Jesus was doing this, when, when, as we read through the Gospels, as we see how Jesus encountered the, the, de- the demonic and other elements that he had to do battle with, Jesus didn't actually seek them out. Jesus never went demon hunting. Jesus instead let that the light of his life flushes these things out. As light walks into darkness, it's going to expose all the corners. It's going to bring what what can't be seen to light. And, And that's when this comes up. And so, even as we're doing battle, we have to remember not to lose our focus on our own life with Christ. That as we keep plugged into Jesus, as his light shines through us, that he's is going to bring us into areas and situations and relationships where it's the time and the place to do battle. And so we don't have to hunt for it. We don't have to seek it out. We just walk as Jesus leads us. And we're going to find the right battles in the right place at the right time as God calls us and leads us. As I said you know, I'm convinced that with the recent history of our church that this is, and, and the present um, testimony of many people in our, of our church that this is where God is leading us. That He's bringing up, raising up on us these, these gifts of the Spirit, these weapons for us to do this battle. And as, as, these, as these come up, in, in your life or in, in you know, the life of the person sitting next to you. you know, our, our role is to encourage each other to put these gifts to use. To, to follow the lead of the Holy Spirit. To, to yearn and, and to battle and to seek for the light of Jesus to enter into corners where it isn't right now. And I hope as well that Jim's testimony last week would be an encouragement for you. That that as God raised this gift up in Jim, as as he's able to, to testify of God working through him, in him and through him, that this would give you the faith as well to seek this for yourself. That this would give you the faith and the expectation to see what God has for you. And also to step up in these times when the battle looks so overwhelming. In the realization that God has given you these things. Not so that you can fall, but so that you can stand. And so that you can testify of His greatness and of who He is. And I believe that that God is going to continue to do this. And I believe that as we step out that we're going to see we're going to see this church change. And we're going to see relationships change. And we're going to see a community change. And I mean, I for one just long to see this come about. And I long to see where this path is going to take us. And I'm so excited for what God is doing, what God has done, what God is going to do in the future. And I have incredible expectations for what we are going to see. And I hope and I trust and I pray that God will raise up in all of us the same expectation and the same faith. For what he's going to do, uh, I'm going to end this, I, I think appropriately, by, by entering into prayer, and I'm just going to pray for some people in need, and, um, and I, I mean, I don't know very many right now, but I just ask that, that as you sit there, that you be praying as well for anybody that you know who is in need and um, just trust God to do something with our prayers and to make good come of all this. So let's let's enter into prayer together. Jesus, we... Jesus, I want to start by thanking you. By praising you for what you have done. What you have brought us through and how you have shaped us, how you have formed us, how... You've protected us. How we can testify that that through all that has happened, our faith hasn't failed. Through all that has happened, we still expect and trust You to raise up in this congregation an army that will do battle for You. And Jesus, we pray that what You have begun you will complete and you've begun to raise up these, these spiritual weapons with which to do battle but Jesus, I pray that you would raise up more that you would reveal in, in all of us what, what these gifts are that you've given us that we can step confidently into battle knowing that you've equipped us for this And I pray as well for the faith. The trust that that we go forward in you. That we do battle with you. That we don't do this in our own strength, we do it in yours. We do this in the presence of the Holy Spirit. Jesus, that we'd, we'd expect to come out victorious. Jesus, I pray that you would give us this increased conviction as to what this means and how we can go about in this. And we're at such varying levels of understanding of what this means and our role in this and and what you have called us as individuals and us as a church to do. But I know that all of us are called. That you're equipping all of us for this. Jesus, I pray there to be the testimony of this church that there's nobody left behind. That we can all enter in this together. Jesus, I pray for some of those in our congregation who are in need. Jesus, I pray for Marilyn. I pray that your presence would be with her through this, this bumpy road she's been on. Jesus, I pray for your presence with her in the hospital. Jesus, I pray that she would know your peace. Jesus, I pray that she would be able to walk out of there testifying to what you've done in her life. Jesus, I praise well for for Jean-Francois for the struggles that he's been going through. Jesus, I thank you for his heart. To seek you. And Jesus, I pray that you would be faithful to him. Jesus, I pray that, that he as well would be able to testify to, to your victory in his life. And Jesus, I pray once again for your presence with him. And finally, Jesus, I pray for Sam with his broken rib. And Jesus, I pray that you would strengthen his body to heal. That, that you would do away with the pain. That his ribs would, would grow together um, as they're supposed to be. That he would be showing no ill effects of this. That you would bring healing to him. And that he would be able to, to enter life and, and worship and everything like he has been in the past. And if there's anybody else that you know of who um, you just want to raise up to, to Jesus, I just ask that you just call him out now. I pray for your presence for your power and your victory in all of these circumstances Jesus I pray that you would be active in the midst of all these lives and I pray this to the glory of your name Jesus Amen